0: The Bible lesson for today is written in the 8th chapter of Mark, beginning with verse 27. It is on page 820 in the Bible provided in front of you. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, Who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan! He said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, "'Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah.' He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. "'Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud.' This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. The word of the Lord. Well,
1: good morning. We are in a series called The Open Book. We are making a point this year to rally around the discipline of reading the Bible together as a community. If you have not jumped on this yet, we have great resources to help you to this end. We have the app that I talked about. We've got the uh, new reading, um, daily reading plan that was perhaps given to you as you came in or is available in our Connect Center. You know, a lot of people for the season of Lent oftentimes give something up. I want to encourage you. If you have not uh, joined us in the reading of the Scriptures and opening the book, that perhaps for Lent, instead of giving something up, you'll take something up, and that is the reading of the Word and discussing it with your friends and your family and perhaps your small group as we gather around the Word and allow the Word to do what the Word can do in our lives. So I want to encourage you to that end. Explore the mysteries of the Scriptures. This morning, there are uh, mysteries that we're going to get to the bottom of. It's quite a long passage, and we're not going to get to all of it. But one of the things that I want to lean into this morning is all of these statements of Jesus that Jesus makes that seem so counterintuitive to the way that we would perhaps otherwise live our lives. Jesus' teaching is clearly at odds with the teaching of the world so let's take a look at this again, and follow along in your Bibles. I was in Honduras this past week, so I wasn't able to make any slides, but if you uh, put your finger in Mark chapter 8, right, right around page 820, uh, we are going to be jumping back and forth within the Gospel of Mark. So if you want to follow along, uh, take some time and put your finger there. And I want to encourage you, perhaps as, again, a discipline, um, perhaps this week, try to read the Gospel of Mark all in one sitting. Uh, It probably won't take you more than maybe 30 or 40 minutes, but I think it'll help you uh, connect some of the dots that we're going to look at this morning. So if you're up for the challenge, read the Gospel of Mark sometime this week. Try to do it all in one sitting. So let's talk about the counterintuitive nature of the kingdom of God. Healings that end with Jesus' admonishing the person healed to not tell anyone. I don't know if you have paid much attention to this in the Gospel of Mark, but there are a number of instances where Jesus does some incredible miracle of healing, but then almost immediately tells the person not to tell anybody about it. So I'm going to give you some examples of this. If you look in Mark chapter five, Jesus heals the little girl that was dead. Mark chapter five, verse 43 says this. Jesus gave strict orders Not to let anyone know about this. Mark chapter 7, Jesus heals a man that is both deaf and mute. And in Mark 7, verse 36, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone about these miracles. Mark chapter 8, Jesus heals a blind man in Bethsaida. And in verse 26, it says, Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village, presumably so that he wouldn't tell anybody in the village what had just happened to him. You know, I think that Jesus might need a new PR person (laughs) to manage this Kingdom Come campaign. And I know that we are in uh, an electoral cycle, and I mean, a politician can't cross the road without throwing a parade, but Jesus does this very counterintuitive thing Where he's doing these incredible miracles. Miracles that have not been done in centuries in the nation of Israel. Healing people of all kinds of diseases, but then telling them, don't let anybody know anything about this. So counterintuitive. Jesus needs a better PR person. And then we had read for us this morning that Peter makes this bold declaration that Jesus is the Son of God. And then Jesus tells him not to tell anyone who he is. We just read this a second ago. Mark eight twenty nine. Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And then right after that, we have, again, this incredible miracle of Jesus being transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John see Jesus transformed, uh, garments whiter than any white they have ever seen. Moses and Elijah there talking with Jesus. They're hearing the voice of God audibly in a way that they cannot mistake. And what does Jesus tell them? He says, Don't tell anyone what you have seen. Mark 9, verse 9. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone. What they had seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. And this is just in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus' teaching are littered with these counterintuitive commands. Jesus tells his disciples that if they want to gain their lives, they must lose their life. It's not intuitive to me that the way to an abundant life is to give your life up. Jesus tells them if they want to be his disciples, then they must pick up their crosses and follow him. Again, imagine how counterintuitive. If you want to be my disciple, then pick up this instrument of death and follow me. It just doesn't seem like a good plan to see your kingdom come, Lord. Jesus tells them to pray for their enemies, to turn the other cheek, to walk the extra mile, to forgive those who hurt you. Jesus has this counterintuitive view of of the world in an unconventional way of advancing his kingdom. This is just not how I would imagine you would get ahead in life. But if you contrast that with what the world says in regards to getting ahead in your life, they might, the world might suggest that you should hate your enemies, not love your enemies. The world might suggest that you should get all you can When you can, the world might suggest that you should dominate your opponents. Think of the way that Herod, who was the ruler uh, in this area at that time, think about the way that Herod dealt with his opponent, John the Baptist. Again, in the Gospel of Mark, it says that Herod had John imprisoned for John's speaking against him. Criticizing him in the way that he had married his sister-in-law. Herod created anxiety for anybody who was associated with John the Baptist. Even Jesus felt the heat of his proximity to John the Baptist because of Herod's threats. Ultimately, Herod had John executed in order to save face and make good on a promise that he had made uh, in front of his dinner guests. See, the world teaches a power over system. Jesus is leading us into adopting a power under way of life. Again, this power under way of life talks about loving enemies and praying for those who persecute you. The power under way of life talks about if you want to gain life, that you need to give your life away. The power under life talks about taking up your cross and following Jesus, But how are we to believe this, this Jesus way of life, this power under way of life? Perhaps if Jesus would only do miracles so that we could see them and then believe and then God's kingdom would come in power. We often think that, how many of you have, have prayed a prayer something like this? Lord, if you will just reveal yourself to me then I'll believe. Then I'll know that this is the right way or this is the best decision to make. Has anybody ever prayed that prayer? Think about how Jesus revealed himself over and over and over again to his disciples and to his followers. Think about the miracles that Jesus did. Miracle after miracle. And yet his disciples kept vacillating back between belief and then unbelief belief and then unbelief. Think about how Jesus uh, in the Gospel of Mark talks about the feeding of the 5,000. Remember, Jesus says to them, uh, uh, we should feed these people, and they said, we don't have any food. And he says, well, how much food do you have? And they said, we have five loaves of bread and a couple fish. And Jesus takes those, he blesses them, Then he gives them back to the disciples, and the disciples spread it out throughout the crowd, and everybody had enough to eat. In the Gospel of Mark, shortly after that, Jesus is again in front of another crowd, this time a crowd of 4,000. And again, the disciples realize, like, man, we need to get these people out of here because they're going to get hungry. And then Jesus says, "Uh, why don't you give them something to eat? And they literally say again, we don't have enough food for all these people. And then Jesus, I think, with like kind of a smirk on his face, says, Well, what, 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 how much food do you have? It's like, We have just went down this road, gang. But yet does the miracle again, and he feeds the 4,000. Peter makes this great declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, and I don't want this to be lost on you. This is a big deal. The whole nation of Israel have been waiting for centuries for the Messiah to come. And then finally, Peter's eyes are open to the reality. This is it. Imagine if there was a promise that we all held tightly, that someday in the future, the Cleveland Browns are going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> and then one day, here we are in the Super Bowl. I mean, can you imagine how, how incredible that would be? Peter, after centuries and centuries and centuries of all of his family and all of the nation longing for the coming of the Messiah, finally he he has the eyes to see. And he makes this great declaration, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus told him that he was right. Think about how exciting that would be. And the next thing he does is rebuke Jesus. You see, it doesn't matter how many miracles that the disciples and these first century Christians experienced. They kept vacillating back between belief and unbelief. Getting it right. Making mistakes. Peter and James see Jesus transfigured before them. An unmistakable miracle. And then right after that, abandon Jesus when the authorities come looking for him. When you find yourself thinking, if only Jesus would reveal himself to me, then I will believe. Maybe you have seen everything that you need to see. And all that is left now is just believe. Believe these promises of God. So let me draw some conclusions as I was looking at this text this week. The first thing that I, occurred to me was just how, just how unintuitive I am about the things of God. And how often my instincts fail me. I can remember when I was in college, I worked on this uh, dude ranch out in Colorado. They paid me to ride horses in the Rocky Mountains. It was the greatest job I could ever hope for. And I remember when I got out there the first week and I was starting my job as a wrangler, um, it occurred to somebody at some point that I had never really ridden horses before. (laughs) (laughs) And before these guests who had paid great sums of money to be taught how to ride horses, they thought that perhaps they should teach me how to ride a horse so then I could turn around and teach the guests how to ride horses. And my instinct told me that in order to make my horse to go left or right, I would need to pull her head around in the direction that I wanted her to go. Now, if any of you have ever read Western-style horseback riding, you realize that is not how you get your horse to go where you want it to go. You don't pull their head in the direction that you want them to go. You actually apply pressure on the side of the horse that you want them to move away from. That was not intuitive to me. My instincts told me something else altogether. But once I started to learn how to communicate with my horse, then she was much happier (laughs) and was able to go the places that I wanted her to go much more efficiently. We might need to strengthen these muscles that push us against our instincts and against our intuition at times. When Jesus has clearly told us that there is another way. We need to allow the promises of God to inform our instincts and our intuition so that we don't miss out on something that God would love to give us. But here is the good news. Despite all of the mistakes that the disciples of Jesus and all of these first century followers of Jesus made, God's kingdom still came. Because it does not depend on you. God's kingdom coming does not depend on you. God still accomplished all of God's purposes. And it is because the kingdom of God does not depend on us. God is the one who is truly in control. For some of you who grew up reading the small catechism, Luther's small catechism, this resource that we still use today to teach our children on how to interpret things like the Lord's Prayer and the Apostles' Creed and the Ten Commandments, Martin Luther has this great advice for us in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. The second petition of the Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom come. We just prayed it a little while ago. Do you remember saying that? God, thy kingdom come. This is what Martin Luther says. What does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. And how does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit so that by His grace we believe His holy word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. Here is the good news from our text this morning. This is not about doing a little better and trying a little harder. God's kingdom is going to come whether we ask for it or not. But when we ask for it, God is able to graft us into his plans and give us the great blessing and privilege of seeing firsthand God at work. Not just in the world, but in our lives as well. God's kingdom does not come because we ask for it. It is coming. But don't you want to be a part of what God does when God does it? God's kingdom does not depend on you. God is going to bless the world with or without us, but don't you want to be able to see firsthand God at work in our world? So let me close with this. This is how this text hits home for me this week. Almost two weeks ago, I got a text from one of the leaders of the Honduras missions team. One of the members of the team at the last minute was going to have to back out, and they said, if you want to go on this trip, I've got a spot for you, but I need to know right away. And to be honest, my instinct was to not go. I had been traveling the last three weeks. I'd been gone half of the week for the last three weeks. I haven't seen my family very much. But I thought, Lord, I want to pray you might be up to something here, and if you are, then I don't want to miss it. I called my wife, Andrea. I talked to Pastor Steve. Everyone gave me the green light, so I joined the team. My instincts had said, take a break. But I had this nudge from the Holy Spirit to go. And my friends, this past week was one of the best experiences I have ever had as a part of this church. I was so proud of the 18 teammates that I traveled with, worked with, ate with, laughed with, served with, it was one of the richest blessings that I have had since I've been a part of this church. We served a community that is our sister church, a relationship that is now almost two decades old. We worked alongside the people of Kaliche, we made friends. We sang together. We worshiped together. We had water balloon fights together. And most importantly, we saw the kingdom of God come together. God's kingdom was going to come whether I went on this trip or not. I'm just so profoundly grateful that I did not miss the opportunity to see it come firsthand. Praise God for the amazing things that God has done. And so, my friends, sooner or later, you too will have an opportunity to see God's kingdom come firsthand. You too are going to feel a nudge to make an invitation to a friend to come and join you here at church and worship together. You too will feel a leading of the Holy Spirit to reach out to someone, to listen to them, to comfort them, to meet a material need of theirs. You too will have opportunities to put your faith to work by joining a short-term missions team, becoming a volunteer with Sun Ministries, or volunteer in one of our Sunday morning teams, because God's kingdom is going to come whether we ask for it or not. But I don't want us to miss the opportunity to see it firsthand. And experience the goodness of the counterintuitive life that God offers us. Let us pray together. Lord, we pray your kingdom come. And we long to see it in its fullness and in its power. And We know that it will come whether we ask for it or not, Lord. But we don't want to miss out on the goodness that you have for all humanity. We do not want to miss out on the opportunity to be your hands and your feet, an instrument to bless the world. Would you give us the courage to ask for your kingdom, to come amongst us, amongst our friends, amongst our families, amongst our neighbors? And Would you give us the great privilege of seeing it firsthand? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.